excited about today's message. We're going to be talking a lot about God's image, the image of God, and how that relates to us. Going all the way back to Genesis, chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, God says to his fellow Trinity members, Let's create man in our image. Let's create them, male and female. Let's create them. So he created male and female. He created them in man's image. Genesis 2, 7. God grabs a piece of dirt, the ground, dust, squeezes it together and forms man. And then he breathes in his nostrils, his spirit, and man becomes alive. No angel, no beast of the field, nothing in all of creation, spiritual or physical, has God ever created in his image except man. Never did he ever breathe his spirit and place it in anything except man. We are special. He knew us before we were born. He knew us individually before the worlds were created. He tells us that. He knew us. He knows the beginning from the end. God is not a time creature. God created time. Time is nothing but a bubble. And we're getting very near to that point when that bubble is going to pop and we enter the eternal state. What happens after the tribulation? We have a thousand year reign with Jesus Christ. After that thousand year reign when Jesus shows that people can live together for a thousand years under a biblical reign of the Holy God, he's going to show that. But he's also going to show that humanity is still corrupt in their own image without the influence of Satan. Unless they have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. This is a whole different subject. I'm, I'm getting off base here a little bit. But after that thousand years of, of Christ and his kingdom, then we go into the, the eternal state, and that's what awaits us. There's no end to it. We live eternally with God, where there's no more sin, there's no more crying, there's no more death. It's, it's wonderful. We'll be with God, we'll be with our family members that have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them now. It's going to be marvelous. It's going to be so different. The, the worst day will be better than anything that this earth has ever had. That's what awaits us. We are so special. Adama, that means ground, dust. God, Adama, got Adama and pressed it together and made Adam. Adam was the first He's truly an earth creature. He pressed it together and made man. And what is that telling us? We came from dust, and what does the Bible say? And to dust we will go, to dust and ashes. We were created from dust, and that's where we're going to end up until we receive our resurrected bodies for the eternal state. This should tell us something. The old, old rabbis, they had a saying. 
They didn't have paper in those days. They had papyrus. They had other things that they used. But basically, it's this. We should walk around with two slips of paper. One that says, everything was made for me. I am the image of God. And you put that in your pocket. And you have another one that says, I am nothing but dust. And you put that in your other pocket. On days when you're really feeling great about yourself, you got this pride thing going. You can't do any wrong. Everybody's in love with you. That's when you want to pull the one out and says, I am nothing but dust. Kind of bring you back down to where you belong. But on those other days when you're feeling downhearted, nothing's going right, you're having a pity party, pull out the one from the other pocket. Everything was created for me. I am made in God's image. There's another story, an old rabbinical story that was going around in the time of God Jesus. And it goes like this. There's a famous rabbi, his name was Eleazar. And Eleazar went to these weekly uh, rabbi meetings where they would discuss the Torah and get into, you know, real heavy-duty debates about Torah, law, Jewish law, scriptures, all that. And they were in a vigorous debate. And he pulled out three obscure scriptures. And he just amazed all the other rabbis with these scriptures that he pulled out of his hat and won the debate. So he's on his donkey on the river road, traveling home, and he's chuckling and giggling to himself. We live in the moment. <laughs> he doesn't think anybody hears him except he and the donkey. As he's rounding the bend, the donkey, you know, and he, there's this, this bedraggled, ugly man, this ugly peasant that's there. And the rabbi goes, You are so ugly. Is everyone in your village as ugly as you? And the peasant says, I don't know. He's down like this looking up to him, because that's the statue of a peasant looking up at him. He recognizes this rabbi as who he was and someone important. He says, I don't know, Lord. Perhaps you should talk to the craftsman that made me and talk to him how ugly I am. And with that, the rabbi jumped off the donkey, prostrated himself before this bedraggled beggar, and said, forgive me, I have sinned against you and I have sinned against God. Well, what happened? The rabbi knew with those words that he just spewed out that he was calling God's creation ugly. He was calling the image of God ugly. But he was even doing more than that. He was calling God ugly as well. And the rabbi realized that. We are God's image. And we do the same thing all the time. What does James say? The Apostle James. He says, with our mouth, we will praise and worship God, and then with almost the same breath, we will curse our fellow man. How is it that we can do that? We can love God and then curse each other. We can look at each other and say, how... You're different. I don't like you. You're ugly. God's creation is supposed to be beautiful. 
We're supposed to see each other the way God does. God sees us as something beautiful, one of a kind. In Jesus' day, even centuries and centuries and centuries before Jesus' day, the rabbis taught this. And this is a, a teaching that Jews knew about. And it had to do with kings print coins. They mint coins. And they put their image on the coins. And whenever wherever these coins are circulated, that is the sovereignty of that king. Wherever people use those coins, they are putting themselves under the sovereignty, the laws of that king. Because they are saying, I am buying and selling with this king's money, with this king's image, his image is on the coin. I am submitting myself to his authority because I'm believing that this person, that person are using the same thing. So we have to abide by the same rules under this king's authority. But God prints people. And they all look different, but they all are in his image. The king prints engraves thousands and thousands of coins, but they're all identical, showing how much more powerful God is. He's making millions of people that are all different, different heights, different colors, but they're all in God's image. And just as those coins that the king mints they are used to be spent and circulated in that king's domain. In the same way, we are minted in God's image. We are meant to be spent and used in the world wherever we are circulated. We are to be used for God's work. This will all make sense more sense to you later on in this message I'm going to be giving. But this is what the people in Jesus' day knew. They knew about these things, about coins and images on coins. If you do a search in the Old Testament and just look up image, what's going to happen is you start looking at image and you'll see graven image. Graven is before every, just almost before every word that says image. Graven, I didn't know this, but graven means engraved. Engraved image. Coins. It was forbidden for, for Jews to have anything to do with an engraved image. And that's what coins were. They all had the king's pictures on it. Had, you know, you look at all those old coins back then. They all had the king's face on it. And those, many Jews like the Essenes, they wouldn't even touch these coins, let alone look at them, because they felt that this was going against their religion. And many, you wouldn't even have to be the Essenes, which were more of a radical Jewish group. There were other 
Jews that just they wouldn't have anything to do with with coins like that. There was one other saying that they had back then. I'll just share this one with you and we'll move on. Before every human being, there was a band of angels. And wherever a man and woman go in life, there is this band of angels who says, make way, make way, make way for the image of God. Can you believe that? Now, I think that's given us way, way too much more uh, esteem than what we really deserve. And I don't believe angels do that. But the rabbis were trying to make a point about who human beings are. No angel did God ever breathe into. Angels are not going to be the bride of Christ. When you think about it, what is the bride of Christ? That means we are going to have a very special relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says right now he is sitting on the Father's throne. And we will sit on his throne with him as fellow heirs. And that's the best language he could come up with to help us to understand what our position in heaven will be. We will be sitting on God's throne. Doesn't that blow your mind? I mean, I can't even... uh. And what else blows my mind is right now, in heaven, there is a man sitting on the throne of God. He's got a hole in his side, holes in his wrists, and holes in his ankles. And his name is Jesus Christ. But there is a man sitting on the throne of God right now. And he is interceding for you and I every moment of every day. This is how important you are. And this is how important your brothers and sisters are. And this is how we have to be looking at our brothers and sisters. Not as the exceedingly ugly man, but as a beautiful creation in Christ. As a beautiful thing that God made. We can't look at each other and say, you're exceedingly ugly as everybody in your racial group as ugly as you. Is everybody in your town as ugly as you? You're beautiful. We are beautiful in Jesus Christ. I'm saying all of that to get to what I got out of Luke chapter 20. Luke chapter 20 is, it just blew me away when I, I started reading this. Now it happened, Luke 20 verse 1, now it happened on one of those days as he taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel that the chief priests and the scribes together with the elders confronted him and spoke to him saying, tell us by what authority are you doing these things? Or what is he who gave, or who is he that gave you this authority? But he answered and said to them, 
I will also ask you one thing and answer me. He did that. He goes, and answer me. This is Jesus in the temple. He's being confronted by the high priest, the Sanhedrin, all these guys, and they're beautiful roads and all this power behind them. They're demanding something from him. And he goes up. He's got the moxie to say, you answer me. How could he have? You know, you know these movies about Jesus. Mamby, pamby Jesus. Sweet little Jesus. You answered me. That's who Jesus is. Authority and action. Not some weakling, sniveling God. Why did he feel that he could talk that way? Where were those wives and Pharisees and Sadducees? Where were they? They were in the temple. What was Jesus doing the whole time he was walking up to Jerusalem to be in that temple? He was talking about the Jews in there and the bad things that they were doing. He was in that temple and he felt very comfortable in there. Going in there even the first time was very comfortable because he was in his father's house. You tell me. I'm in my father's house. You tell me, man. You tell me. You're asking me by what authority I have? So it gets down to the point where these guys are saying, what authority do you have? And he says, I'm going to ask you a question. You answer me. Whose baptism did John baptize you under? Was it under God? And they have to confer amongst themselves because they're scared. They're scared of this young upstart rabbi from Galilee. They know if they answer the wrong way, they're going to get the people mad at them. And if they answer the other, you know, they, they just they don't know how to answer. So they said, we, we can't give you an answer. And he says, I don't have to answer you either. Well, that really got them flustered. And he says, I'm going to give you guys a parable. And he tells them the parable of, of, the, of the vineyard. I'm just going to go over the vineyard because that's the next thing down in this chapter. There was a, a landlord of a vineyard. And he leases the vineyard out to these tenants, these vine dressers. And at the time of a harvest, he sends one of his servants to collect what was due him. He wanted his problems. But they wouldn't beat up his servant. He sent him back to him. We're not giving him nothing. So he goes, huh? He goes and sends out another servant. They beat him up. They don't give him nothing and send him back. These guys, these vineyards, they're a tough lot. I'm going to send them a third time. I'm going to send them another servant. Would they wound that servant? They beat him up with an inch of his life and send them back. And he goes, surely, surely I will send them my beloved son. They will respect him. 
they will give him my what's due my share. So his son goes to him and they said, confer amongst themselves. This conferring things, it seems like people in power, they like to confer a lot and, you know, get on the same page with each other and figure out how they're going to deceive and connive. So they figure out what they're going to do. They're going to kill the son so that they can keep all the profits of the vineyard. And that's what they do. So what is the owner of the vineyard going to do? He's going to come and destroy him. And that's what he did. Well, these guys, these Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, they're not dumb. They know that Jesus was talking about them. So they're really ticked off now. They got this young upstart rabbi from Galilee. He's talking down at them. They don't, they just don't know how to handle this guy. Because everything that Jesus has done for the last several sermons that I've done here, everything Jesus has done has been turning everything upside down. These guys, these guys in the side heaven, the high priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they all realize that Jesus is turning everything upside down. And he's turning the temple upside down now. And the only thing that's stopping them from taking Jesus right now, from them laying their hands on him, is Jesus has a crowd in the temple. The people like him. They're coming in every single day and listening to him. They're listening to him and they know they can't touch him. Because the people are there and they're afraid of the people. But Jesus is demeaning their authority every single day that he's there. What are they going to do? They got to catch him in some kind of a trap. They got to catch him in the words that he says, the words that he do, that he does, the things that he. They got to catch him, and then they got to turn him over to the Romans so that the Romans can have their way with them. And when you get turned over to the Romans, that's it. So these guys are out to kill Jesus. Let's pick up the story in um, verse twenty. 20 of 20. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be righteous that they might seize on the words in order to deceive him. The power and the authority of the governor would turn him over to the power and authority of the governor. Then they asked him, saying, Teacher, we know that you say and teach rightly and you do not show personal favoritism, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful for you to pay taxes to Caesar or not? They asked that question, and everybody in the temple knew. This was like a loaded question. I mean, they were talking amongst themselves as soon as that question was asked. Is it is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? How can he answer it? There's only two ways you can answer it. If he says yes, it's okay to pay taxes to Caesar, well, the people are going to go against him because they're just going to say, well, he's another Roman shield. If he says, don't pay the taxes, he'll be charged with sedition, and the Romans are going to take him and Because <laughs> the Romans left no quarter for sedition, especially when it came to taxes and tributes being paid to them. They just killed him right away. There was 
There was no trial, no nothing. I mean, because that's what made the Roman Empire work, is tributes and taxes. And if Jesus says don't pay taxes, that's the end of Jesus. And that's what they're trying to do here. They're trying to kill him. Or they're trying to get him where the people won't listen to him anymore. That's the only foreseeable outcome. If you've got a normal mind, like, say, I would, I'd go, oh, what am I going to do? But I'm not Jesus. So Jesus says, show me a denarius. So from the back of the room, the guy that said, is it lawful? Jesus said, show me a denarius. I've got one right here, a denarius. He wakes it up for everyone to see it. Whose image is on there? Caesar's. And what does it say? It says Caesar. And actually what it would have said would have said Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine can't make out his his father's name, Augustus. Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. That is what a denarii said. Divine, the divine Augustus. Caesar, Tiberius Caesar, is making himself out to be divine, is making himself out to be God. And this guy is in the temple showing this off. Now, as soon as he lifts this up, and Jesus says, <laughs> what does it say? He already realized that he just committed some heresies right in the temple already. Jesus has got him cold. The guy's face probably turned around, and Jesus' friends that were coming there to listen to him, probably 100, 200 people or so, are probably laughing, pointing the finger at this Yehu priest that did that. So, because you're not supposed to have an engraved image inside the temple. That's strictly taboo, especially one that says that the Caesar is divine. I mean, it's just, it's just so weird. So it goes on from there. But he perceived the craftiness and said to them, why do you test me? Show me this denarius. Whose image and inscription does it have? They answered and said, Caesar's. And he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Now as we read that today, basically, you know, it's, I've heard this in sermons, I've used it myself. You know, it's, well, it's okay to pay taxes, and it's okay to give to the church. No, that's fine, that's, that's the way I've always read that. No, we thought that was true. Not knowing all this other stuff. You know, this, this whole thing with this guy with the thing up there, he's not, he's not supposed to have that coin in there in the first place. And then he's a priest. And here this priest is on there doing something sacrilegious. And he's, he, see, when, when he said that, and Jesus knew this, when he said, show me a denarius, Jesus knew the guy that would have that has already answered the question. Because that means he has a denarius and he is already paying Caesar his tribute. He's already answered the question. The priests are already paying tribute to Caesar and they've got the gall 
the hypocrisy to ask Jesus, is it okay? And they're already doing it. I have a title to this message. This message is called The Attack And so well planned. The attack of the temple cult. The attack of the temple cult. Because that's what this is. This is an attack on Jesus from the temple cult. And the reason why I call it a cult. C-O-U-L-T. The attack of the temple cult is this. The Sanhedrin in the Jerusalem temple, not the Sanhedrin in other synagogues and other places in Israel. I'm talking about the temple in Jerusalem, the Sanhedrin there, the high priests, the scribes, and the elders of that church were a cult. They were a cult amongst themselves. They comprised the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin's job was to pay a tribute to Rome. That tribute was already historically, this is historical now, the tribute had to be paid in denarii. Denarii is money, which was already, you know what it was inscribed with. They had to pay tribute to them to Rome. So these guys were already shields for the Roman Empire. And the people knew that. This is one reason why Jesus got so mad when he turned over the money changers' tables. Now you know what that money changing was all about. They were exchanging regular money that the people had in exchange for denarii that had the symbol of this emperor that said he was God that they're going into the temple with to pay the temple tax. And this temple tax was being collected by the Sanhedrin, which was comprised of the high priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, and the elders of that church. They were the elite. They were the ones that ran the temple. They were a power base unto themselves. They had power, they had prestige, they had authority, they dressed well, they were rich, they had power. And Jesus came in and he was taking away that power. They were afraid of him. He was attacking their power base because the temple was everything. That's how they got their money. That's what kept them in power. That's what kept them with their prestige. That's what gave them the honors being in the temple. And they had these titles. Yet they were Roman shields by collecting Roman tax with those Roman symbols on it in this temple where it never should have happened. These guys were bad. They were trying to put on Jesus, accusing him of things that they were already doing, where they were trying to get him to, to say things that they were already doing. They were just really a bad group of guys. Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. 
But they could not catch him in his words, in the process of the people. And they marveled at his answer and kept silent. So they couldn't catch him in anything. They tried and they tried. They hired spies, the people that um, they sent in here to try to catch him. These were paid guys. They paid them to come in and try to trap him. So, what, what's going on here, I always try to relate what's going on to what's happening in our world today. The Romans had the leadership in the Jewish temple working for them. That were collecting taxes. The Roman Empire really never was conquered. It just kind of died out on its own because of its own uh, depravity. It just kind of died out. They, they, they stopped fighting. They lost their way. They got in a whole bunch of weak leaders. They couldn't do anything anymore. And it just kind of died. Well, what's happening today is we have world leaders that seem to be very weak and it's all coming under this new world order, a new Roman world order because Rome never died and it's being revamped. It tells us that in the Bible that the new world order will be revised from the new world the, the, the new Roman Empire. So it's going to be a European base with the, the countries that made up the Roman Empire. And they're going to be controlling things just the same way that they did in Jerusalem. It's like Israel was a microcosm. What was going on in first century Israel is a microcosm of what's going on in the world today. The Jews had corrupted the system, uh, the Romans had corrupted the system that was working. And the new Roman Empire today, this new world order, is corrupting everything that has, has been working, that, that was working. They're extracting money from people. They're, you know, just, I, I just find it very interesting that was going on back then is almost what's going on now. That the Roman Empire was working so hard then to control the religion, to control people's lives, and that's what's going on now. So I'm just trying to bring it all around what was going on then is coming around now. Maybe you can see that, I don't know. Um, but the thought of us being God's money, and wherever we circulate, we should be spending ourselves for God's work, is what impressed me on this old Jewish teaching that was going around in Jesus' day. And I think that's something for us all to remember and for us to see ourselves as the image of God and see each other as the image of God. And it really makes us think twice before maybe we judge other people, before we look at other people in, in one light, we should look at everybody in a nice, bright, holy light the way God wants us to. So that's about all I have to say for about the, 
uh, Luke chapter 20, and uh, Carl will be back next week.